Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. So how many of you have read the story of David and Goliath? It's one of my favorites, right? Whether you've grown up going to church or not, I'm sure you've come across it. Uh, let me just share real quick. Next week, I'm actually uh, going to be at another church next week a church that uh, has been really supportive of us, and they've opened up a door for me to go share. So next week, you have the great privilege of having Pastor Crystal. She's going to come up here and share the word, and she always, always blesses us when she does. Uh, so I want to talk with you. I've entitled it Lessons from a Giant Killer. Lessons from a Giant Killer. I want you uh, to turn with me in your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. And as I shared before... 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 4. I want to speak really, uh, I'll get into it in a second, but I want to speak on, on destiny. Whether you recognize it or not, God has created you for something that's so much bigger than you could ever imagine. And if we would just walk with the eyes of faith, I, I believe in my heart that God has so much that he wants to do in and through us, corporately but also individually. And this is a story that God has opened my eyes up more than ever to this uh, purpose and divine destiny for David that he had to go through this giant in order to have access to it. And so I want to I read a, a few verses here. I know normally I'll, I'll talk at length to kind of set things up, but um, I want to really get into the text and, uh, and then start to explain. And I promise you, I believe God will bring confirmation and, and uh, make this clear as to where we're going. I'm really excited for some of the, the fresh truth that God has shared with me. So let me just share this one thing before we have a little bit of context before we get into the story of David and Goliath. Uh, first, uh, chapter 16 is a very important chapter. This is the chapter where we come to the understanding that King Saul is the current king, okay? He has not done a good job at being king. He has disobeyed God, and so as a result, God says, I'm rejecting you as king, and I'm raising up a new king. And so he calls the prophet Samuel to go find the future king of Israel, and he sends him to the house of Jesse. And when he gets to the house of Jesse, uh, Jesse has eight sons. Seven are in the house. And, and uh, Samuel begins to go through these sons. In fact, when he first gets there, he, he says, uh, Eliab was there. And he says, surely, in his heart, he says, surely this is the Lord's anointed, for he has the appearance. Everything about him uh, seems to be this would be the one that God would raise up to be the, the king. And God begins to speak a powerful word to Samuel. He says, Samuel, don't look at, at the outward appearance. Don't look at what man looks at. He says, that, that's, that's how man judges. He says, but I look at, at the heart. And he says, it's none of these. And you go through this. How many of you like the story of Cinderella, right? Before Cinderella, there was a story of David and his, and his brothers because each of these brothers tried to put their foot in the shoe and none of it fit. And you almost hear uh, Samuel ask uh, the father, Jesse, like, do you have any other sons? Because none of these are the king. And... Uh, and Jesse didn't even invite David in to be tested as a king. He was out in the fields. He said, yeah, I've got one more son, but he's just a mere shepherd boy out in the fields. And he wouldn't even bring him in to be tested, but Samuel said, well, get him. And so the eighth son comes in. When he walks in, Samuel says, that's the Lord's anointed right there. That's the future king of Israel right there. And if you could picture this scene, this young shepherd boy in front of all of his brothers, in front of his father, Kneels before Samuel, most likely, and Samuel begins to put the oil on him and anoints him and says, this is the future king of Israel. And I, I share that because that's going to be important when we move forward. 
But I also want to say this, that it brings me great encouragement, great encouragement to see that the Lord is, is not so much interested in what's going on the outside, but he's interested in the heart, faithfulness. Faithfulness is what the Lord is working for, looking for. And that brings me encouragement because my life oftentimes has been a, a story of trying to measure up by worldly standards. And that creeps into even my walk with the Lord. And I need to, to have look perfect and, and dress perfect and talk perfect and all these other things and have the perfect job. And that's the only way God can use me. But in this, we see the beautiful truth that God really says none of that actually really matters. What I look at is a faithful heart. And that's what David had. And so David, I, I set that up because David was an unlikely character with tremendous destiny. And you may look at yourself and say, I don't know how God could ever use me, but everyone in this room, God wants to do bigger things through you than you could ever imagine. I feel like more than ever, God is awakening me to this reality that if I would trust him and walk with him, he wants to take me to a place that I could never get to in my own strength. And so this is where we start this story. First Samuel chapter 17, I'm going to start in verse 4. Most likely a few years, some time has passed. David's still between the age of 15 and 20. And here we come to this famous scene of, of Goliath and the Israelites and David. So let me just read this. And we're going to look at some lessons uh, from a giant killer. It says this in verse 4. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. So he was probably about nine feet tall and nine inches. So he's a pretty big guy. Verse 5 says, he had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels, which is about 126 pounds. So his, his armor weighs probably more than a lot of people in this room. <laughs> on his legs, he wore a bronze greaves and had a bronze javelin uh, was slung on his back. Verse 7, his spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. So the spear point alone on his spear, the tip of it was about 15 pounds. And it says that his shield bearer went ahead of him. Verse 8, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel. He says, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him... You will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. So we're going to talk. This is our last teaching on this series on God's divine ruses, his unique battle strategies to give his people victory. And let me just share this scene right here. If you can picture this, the Israelites are at war with the Philistines and they are in a deadlock. And they both stand on a mountain, these two camps, and in between them is the valley of Elah. And no one will attack one another because in order to attack, you must go down into the valley, which would put you at a huge disadvantage trying to fight. So the Philistines send out Goliath, this giant, who day and night for 40 days begins to bark these insults and this, these threats against the people of God. Much like we spoke about last week of the invisible war, the attack on the mind from the enemy, Goliath comes out and begins to speak these things against the people of God. And if that's not intimidating enough, you look at his physical stature, his armor, his weaponry, his, in fact, he's a shield bearer. Everything about this seems that this man is invincible. Now, why is that important? Because for 40 days, 
The, the nation of Israel could not move forward. This is what the Lord started speaking. The kingdom of God is meant to be a kingdom of advancement, both corporately and personally. And there are things that come against us as a body and individually that come to put a halt into the plans and purposes that God has for our life. God has destiny. He has things that he has created us for to walk in. And there are obstacles that come again and again to prevent us from moving forward in that. The scriptures are clear. The kingdom is meant to be a kingdom of advancement. And I bet if we were to talk one-on-one, many of you could probably identify with the fact that there is probably that one obstacle that transcends every other obstacle in your life. I know I know it very well. I know that one thing that, like Goliath, stands in the way that I know that God says, you cannot go around this, Andrew. If you are going to walk in what I have for you, you must go through this. This thing must go down, but be encouraged that my presence is with you, and I will slay this giant through you. And when I started to think about certain men of God that I've looked up to, they've had similar stories. Pastor Carter Conlon from Times Square Church, I read his book, Fear Not. He was in ministry, and... And, uh, and, and, you know, he, he had a real struggle, though, with anxiety, so bad that it would put him in the hospital again and again and again and again. And the Lord, this was just, this was his thing. And, and he knew that God said, um, Carter, if you're going to walk in what I have, in my strength, you've got to face this thing and you've got to take this thing on. Like, this thing has to go down in order for you to access what I have. Don't be afraid, fight, but I'll do it for you. And so one day this panic attack came on that would normally put him in the hospital. And man, something just said, just begin to speak the promises of God over your life. Begin to proclaim who you are. And he began to do that right in his living room. And he said it was just like the fire of God came upon him. And in that moment, anxiety just broke off of his life. Never again did he have it in that way. Never again did it did just absolutely uh, threaten him and, and put him in a bedside in a, in a hospital. Bill Johnson, I speak about often, he struggled with severe depression. I mean, severe depression, hard to get out of bed. And so he would have to write these post-its constantly of all the good things that God is doing in his life and through the ministry to constantly encourage himself. My point is, though, is that we have obstacles, and some of us know of that one thing especially, that, that comes against us from walking in the fullness that God has for us. And I believe God wants to stir faith to believe that that thing is going to come down. In, in the power of Jesus Christ. Some of you may not even know the Lord, and so it may just be the simple fact of unbelief still. But that, that giant, that giant will fall in Jesus' name when we go out there and face in the strength of the Lord. Now, before I share some things that, that will equip you in this that we see from the life of David, let me share something that's really, really important. I would do a major disservice to you if I simply pointed you to be more like David. Because the reality is, David is a mere man who is broken. And I'm not trying to do rah, 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 go slay your giants and do it with more courage and effort. That's the opposite of the gospel. In fact, every story in the Old Testament really points to a greater story of Jesus Christ. So before we can see us fighting the lesser giants, we must see the true picture and the true context, which is that Jesus is really the picture of David. You know who we are? We are the cowarding Israelites who are stuck and unable to move and waiting for someone to come and set them free. Except the real giant, the real giant is not Goliath. It's sin, death, and separation from God. And we stand, if you could picture it, just like the Israelites, bound in our past and our shame and our past mistakes, 
unable to move, looking around, waiting and longing for someone who would rise up to fight on our behalf. And the good news is, is that Jesus Christ comes to be with us so that he can step out from us and slay that Goliath for us. The true, the true giant. Sin, death, and separation from God and make a way for us to be with him. So please understand this, that what we do is always in the context of Jesus. It's in his power. It's in his might. And because of his victory, we too can have victory. And so from this, from this scene, we see this standstill with Goliath and the army of Israel and enters David now. And so David enters this scene, and the reason why he enters is because he brings food to his brothers and the commander of his brother's unit. And so he brings roasted grain, and he brings bread, and he brings cheese. And this was actually something very common this time. Normally the families would provide the food for their, their uh, family that was fighting, the soldiers. And so they come, and, and he comes and brings the food. It's a, probably about a 15-mile trip that he'd have to make every time he would do this. But he was faithful, faithful and obedient to do this. That's going to be important. We'll come back to that. David was faithful in the small things. And it says in verse 23 that... Uh, David, uh, the Israelites would let out a war cry every day. They let out a war cry. Then they go to their positions, and then they just stay stuck in their positions. I love it. Every day they let out a war cry, and then they go out, and then they would be stuck, and they couldn't move forward. And David enters in and sees this all unfolding. And he sees, it says, uh, Goliath yell out his usual defiance towards the people of God. And this is what I want to share right here in verse 25. Look at it in chapter 17. It says, now the Israelites had been saying, do you see this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. Listen to this, verse 26. David asked the man standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should deny, defy the armies of the living God? And they repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. I've read through this many times, and I've never really quite understood what has happened here, but, but here's where I believe there is a deep connection with, with our lives there is a standstill here where the people of God cannot move forward. David comes up to this battle scene. He hears what's going on. And then he hears the men say, this is the reward for he who goes against Goliath. And he begins to list the things. But ultimately what is proclaimed is that he will have the king's daughter. In other words, he will enter into the royal family. David asked something that I've never heard before, never quite understood it. David says, wait a minute. Say that one more time. And when you go through it, you never quite pick up on this, and I've never quite understood it, but David says, wait, wait, say that again. What is that reward that they will get for fighting Goliath? Why? Because David recognizes that just before there was a prophetic word spoken over his life that he would be the future king of Israel. And now in this next scene, he is by this Goliath, and someone says, hey, whoever takes this giant is going to be part of the royal family. And David recognizes, wait a minute. This giant is for me. This is my setup. God has brought this moment about. This is not for anyone else. If I am going to walk in what God has created me for, I must face this thing. This giant is for me. There's no way around it. This thing must go down. There is a convergence of the supernatural and the natural happening right here. 
And everyone heard this, this usual defiance day in and day out. But when it heard the ears of David, it sounded different. Everyone heard a giant barking insult, but David heard a confirmation to his calling. When it's destiny, you'll, be, you'll know. It, God will begin to confirm this in your heart. And so David says, wait, wait, say that one more time. And David recognizes that this battle is for me. And if I'm going to walk what God has for me, I have to go through this. And I want to encourage you that each and every one of us have that. There's multiple things, I know that, but I believe, I really want to speak to even that one thing that we know of, that, that you know that God has confirmed, Andrew, if, if, if you're going to go where I'm taking you, it's going to be my strength, but this thing, you have to fight it, though. You have to fight this thing must go down. And here's what's so amazing. The next verse, listen to this. After David, uh, you know, questions and says, what is it that they'll get? It says, um, his brother, verse 28, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. I love this. It's one thing, it's one thing to uh, be discouraged by the enemy, the giant, Goliath. But listen to me, this is really important. Sometimes the word of discouragement can come from God's camp. Sometimes, sometimes because, because it's something so personal, God has spoken to you, that sometimes when you share it, people will say, there's no way that can happen, but, but God has spoken a personal word into you. And, and in this place, it is from the camp of God, from his own brother, who begins to say, what are you doing here? You have no business even being here. Why? I believe in my heart that it's because David's faith was convicting his brother's fear. David's faith, David's courage was colliding with this man's fear. And so he began to speak out against him and say, this can't be done. I'm reading a book called Defining Moments about all these men and women of faith that's so good. And in it, there's one quote that was shared that I read a few weeks ago that so pertains to this. And it says, it says this. It says, faith offends those who are stationary. Think about that. That's really, really powerful. Faith offends those who are stationary. It's not speaking of unbelievers. It's speaking in the house of God. When you operate with faith, you will operate at a different a different pace, you'll operate with a, a different perspective on things. And those who are stuck in doing things through their own strength and through their own ability, you will offend them because you will be moving in such a different realm. And when David began to speak with faith over this thing, his brother around him, who was stricken by fear, began to speak out against him to discourage him because really the conviction was, was what was driving him. He was actually uh, deeply convicted over the faith of, of David. And so, amazingly, the next scene is Saul comes into the picture. David, David's uh, remarks get to King Saul, and King Saul begins to discourage him as well. He says, there's no way, David. There's no way you'll ever be able to take on this giant. He even says, he says, look, this giant has been fighting longer than you've even been alive. And so he has one thing after another. I want to just encourage someone here. I believe that someone needs to hear that. Uh, something that God's spoken, there's been a lot of discouragement, even from people that you think would be, be seeing it the way you see it, but they're not. And so almost, I would almost say that the real enemy is not Goliath in this. It's the lack of, of belief in the people of God. That's what he's really facing against, uh, going off against right here. And so here's David's response to King Saul and to his brother. This is what he says. Verse 34, he says, But David said to Saul, 
Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear, listen to this, when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defiled the armies of the living God. The Lord who has rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. There are two things that I want to speak on, two weapons I believe that God releases in this for us to receive in our, in our own battles like David has with those things that come against God's advancement in our life. And here is the first thing God showed me. Verse 34, David's response to this, hear this. David's response says, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. Faithfulness, obedience, or stewardship. Stewardship is so, so important. And David has been diligently preserving the sheep in the pasture. And because of that, when we steward the things in the small and we're faithful in the small, God is the one who begins to promote us and bring us to new levels of influence when he can trust that we've done the right thing with the little things. I mean, when I read through this, I thought David could have easily said, what does it matter if I leave, lose a sheep or two? It doesn't matter. Let, let the bear, let, let the lion, I'm not going to risk my life. But he, he diligently and faithfully stewarded the small amount that God had entrusted with him. I mean, David could have also said, think about it, he was promised to be king and then most likely went back to the pasture for a number of months, maybe even years. And I'm sure there was thoughts, right? He could have said, man, I will wait till I get to where God has called me to actually start doing the right thing and faithfully stewarding this. I'll wait till I get to the palace before I give my best effort. But what we see here is that David, David stewarded very well what God had given him, even when he was out in the pastures. And I'll share this with you. If you were to ask me, Pastor, what's the best way to prepare for my future? It's to embrace your now. The best way to prepare for your future is embrace your now. Be faithful with what God has given you now. And over time, God will be the one that raises you up in due time. And that's exactly what we see here with, with David. I'm sure he had times where he doubted and said, how in the world is me defending? He probably didn't even think about it. He just was doing what he's supposed to, but he's defending the sheep from the bear and the lion, and he has no idea that in this season, God is preparing him for something greater. And one of my biggest downfalls is if God speaks a word, I'm constantly looking to that. Now, yeah, there's faith and there's hope that, that that's good, but I can get so caught up in it that Man, I don't need to do this stuff now, and I'll just want to jump forward to that. But, but the way to get there is being a faithful steward of what God has entrusted with you. And so I think for a lot of us, if you're like me, we want to wait till we get to the palace. To, uh, we think that's where God will make us into mighty men and women of faith, but we see it's not in the palace. It's in the pasture. That's where God makes us. That's where God molds us. And David was su such a good steward of the little bit that he had that God could trust him. God could trust him. Do you know that God sees what's done in secret? God knows what you're doing, and I mean that in a good way, that you should be motivated. And, and don't, don't be discouraged if you see other people moving forward. God, God sees that, and God is a rewarder of that, and God has his own plan and purpose for you. God's promotion is very different than man's promotion. 
And we can get really caught up in seeing others. And this is not just, this is not just a ministry thing. It's a kingdom principle. So it applies to any jobs or any things that we're doing. We're faithful with the little. And God's promotions are very different than our promotions. And we don't need to fight our way and claw away to get up there. Listen to this. Think about the story of David. David, when he was shepherding faithfully, do you know that it says, right before we got into chapter 17, it says that a tormenting spirit came on Saul. And Saul said, I need someone to play music to calm me down. And someone said, well, I heard that David, who plays the harp with the sheep, is a really good musician. Saul says, go, get him and bring him. Did David ask for that? No. God was promoting him because he was faithful. You see, I, I bring on a lot of stress when I try to push my way forward to be something in the kingdom of God. That's not how it works. God says, just be faithful in the small that I've given you. And he was faithful with that, and God started to promote him. David was bringing the food to his brothers, faithful obedience to what he was asked to do. And then this, this giant comes, and God, in one moment, he's bringing food. The next moment, he's representing the nation of Israel, fighting against this giant. Did he ask for that? No. No, God had promoted him because God sees what is unseen. And many want to win against, uh, I think about this, many want to win against giants when the grandstand is full. I know I do. But few are willing to do the little things when no one is looking. And one of the ways that David was able to be a giant killer is because he was faithful in the small task that he was given. And so I encourage you, whatever God has assigned you, to be faithful in that task. And here's the second thing I want to share in this, the last big thing, the last weapon. We've spoken at length about ruse of war and God's strategies. One thing we've not shared over these last few weeks is the power of a testimony. I want you to hear this. God started just revealing, speaking things deep into my heart that is so, so important that we have this weapon at our disposal. When I'm reading through David's explanation as to why he believes he can fight Goliath, I never really saw at this, but what is David doing? He's testifying. He's sharing God's testimony in his life. Come on, go, we're going to go on a little journey here. This is so important because everyone, it's not just a salvation testimony. God is continuously doing things in our life, and there is such a special anointing and power in those things that God is doing to encourage us to continue to go on. How many, uh, how many of you remember being in, I don't know, high school, junior high, and you remember in math class, <laughs> and you're going through your textbook, and you get to that problem that just so, so uh, has stumped you, and you get frustrated, and you don't know what to do, and then you have that, that reminder, that glorious truth that if you go to the back of the book, there's an answer key in the book. <laughs> the only problem is usually it has to be an even number, so you quickly look, it's problem 28, and you're like, yes, you can go to the back of the book, and there's the answer key, and all of a sudden you're like, now I know what to do. Well, in the Bible, in the back of the book, is the greatest answer key ever, Revelations 12, 11 tells us that they, meaning us, overcome the accuser, meaning the devil, by what? By the blood of the lamb, by the word of our testimony, and not loving life unto death. The word of our testimony is such a powerful weapon because when the accuser speaks lies, when he speaks condemnation over you, you begin to recall who God is, his faithfulness in, in your life. When he begins to speak that God is not with you, you begin to recall the times that God has been with you. And that is one of the greatest weapons we have to go against the devil when he begins to try to bring fear into our lives. And that's what David does here. David, David is strengthened to face the Goliath when he reflects on God's past faithfulness. 
God has delivered me from the bear and the lion, and if he's done it then, he will do it again. Do you know, fascinating, I think, that in the Old Testament, the word testimony means ehud, which means record or, or um, witness. And the root of ehud is yudiud, which means to repeat or do again. When we share our testimonies, what is happening is we are creating an atmosphere that is building a faith and expectation that God is going to duplicate that miracle again. He is going to do it again. So when we share that, what we're doing is we begin to testify and it begins to shift things where there is an anointing that is released that we, the people, when you hear that, you begin to believe that God is going to invade the, in the impossible and do that very same miracle again. The, the Ark of the Covenant, which is the presence of God, you know what its other name was or one of its names? Ark of the Testimony. Literally, the manifest presence of God, its other name was the Ark of the Testimony. When you share God's faithfulness and what he's done in your life, there is the presence of God is released in that. How many of you have ever been around and heard someone share a testimony of something that you've walked through emotionally, financially? It doesn't matter what it is. You've been bound in addiction, right? All these things. When someone shares that testimony, how many of you have heard that and it has stirred something inside of you to say, wait a minute, that is obtainable for me. I have access to that. You see, when David speaks and shares the testimony of God, he is creating an atmosphere of faith where right now there's been no faith. And when he begins to speak this, he's stirring the people and himself to believe, listen, if God's done this before, God can do this again. One of, I came across this story that, so, so good. I was um, looking at testimonies from Bethel, uh, Bethel Ministry, and they were speaking on this power of testimony. I want, I want you to hear this because do you know how important it is? When we get together with other believers, how many of us ever start by saying, hey, what's the Lord doing in your life? I know I don't really do that that often, right? Do you know how powerful that is when you do that? Why? We are testifying about God's goodness, and we're stirring one another in faith when we say, this is what God's been up to, and then you begin to share what God is doing in your life. And so I was listening to uh, some testimonies from Bethel, and they went to a, uh, a ministry a few hours away from their church, and they had their school of ministry with them. I mean, this is all recorded. This is incredible what, what takes place. And they had this young boy named Christopher who was about 10 years old who had clubbed feet. That means they turned over on the inside so bad that he had all scabs on the top of his feet. And so they called up Christopher. Well, they called up everyone. Christopher came up, and they began to pray for Christopher. And as they were praying, his clubbed feet turned out to perfectly straight. And so in this moment, everyone just starts crying. They're weeping. And one of Christopher's friends comes up to him and says, run, start running. So little Christopher is just running through the sanctuary. Everyone's weeping as they're seeing this boy who had came in with club feet. And, uh, and, he, and he comes forward, and um, they were just so, so blessed and encouraged by him. And so what happens is, he's, he, and as he's going around, he's screaming, I'm running, I'm running, I'm running. And, uh, and so he goes home, and his neighbor catches wind of this. And this is not even really part of the story, but his neighbor has so, been so blessed by it. They come to church, and... The pastor uh, runs into this neighbor and says, hey, uh, how's Christopher doing? He recognized him. He said, man, it's been two weeks. This kid hasn't stopped running around the neighborhood. This kid is just, just keeps running around. 
Well, a few weeks after that, this lady from Montana comes to the church, um, not, not for any particular reason, just, just came, and she came with her daughter. And her daughter, it's not pigeon toe, but was so severely pointed in that she couldn't really walk properly, and she kept tripping over her feet. And so her daughter happens to be in the kids' ministry, and, uh, and the, they're ministering during the service, and they begin to share Chris's testimony, the little boy. And they begin to share about the power of the testimony and what's available right now. And the mother, while she's in that service, feels like the Lord is just pressing upon her. This is for her. And while she hears that, she says, Lord, I want that for my daughter. And when she goes to pick up her daughter from the nursery, the daughter's feet had straightened out in the nursery. And the place was just freaking out, and no one laid hands on her, no one prayed for her, but it was the power of the testimony that incited faith to say, God can do that again. And there was actually more of a ripple effect. I'm not even going to go into it. It's crazy. People watch. They would share this testimony on TV. I got to share it now. They're, they're, <laughs> they're on TV. Um, they're in Brazil, I think. And the taxi driver is with the pastors, and he's saying, Hey, I got to share this testimony with you. My sister-in-law was watching you guys on TV the other night doing your conference here, and she heard you share the testimony of this kid, Chris, and this little girl from Montana whose feet were healed. And her daughter had this severe problem. She was beautiful, but her feet were so messed up, and she was so embarrassed. And so uh, the, the, the mother is watching this on TV, and when she hears this, and she realizes that, man, this the power of the testimony, the anointing, came upon her and said, this is for you. She called out her daughter and said, honey, come out here. And the daughter comes out, and she says, take off your shoes. And the daughter's like, okay, she takes off her shoes and says, now walk to me. And as the daughter started to walk to her, her feet began to straighten out again. They have all of this recorded. you got to watch this. It's absolutely incredible. But the power is in the testimony, and that's what David did. When he shared his testimony, he encouraged the people around him to believe, God has done this before. He can do this again. Psalm 119.99 says this, I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies, listen to me, for your testimonies are my meditation. David wrote this, and David says, I am wiser than my teachers. And you know why I'm wiser? It is not because I have been blessed with a higher level of intellectual capacity, I am wiser because I choose to make the testimonies of God my counsel. In other words, David says, my fears do not counsel me. My worry does not counsel me. My lack of does not counsel me. But God's faithfulness is what counsels me, and I meditate on that. And because of that, I live according to his faithfulness, and I am wiser than all of my teachers. And this is why David in the Psalm 40 said, Lord, when I came before the assembly of the people, he said, I did not conceal your righteousness in my heart. He said, I did not conceal your love and your faithfulness and your goodness in my heart. No, I was faithful to proclaim it to the assembly, God, because he understood the power of the testimony. Because when we don't, when the people of God were getting ready to come into the promised land, Deuteronomy 6, God says, keep my commands, keep my statutes, and keep my testimonies. And they backslid because they began to not keep his testimonies. And how do you not keep testimonies? You stop sharing them. That's why we have to continually share what God is doing in our life as a weapon to keep going on. And when we stop sharing his testimonies, we start settling for walking in the natural rather than believing for a God who can come and invade the impossible. 
And so we must constantly keep it in the forefront of our mind, God who can do far beyond what any one of us can do. So I'll ask uh, Brittany, can you, where's Brittany? Brittany, you mind just playing something as we just close here for a second? David had a, a moment of destiny here, and I just wanted to share some lessons that God has spoken in my heart, faithfulness, stewardship, the testimony, the power of the testimony. Do you, do you know that I'm sure many of you in your own way have had many accomplishments in your life. You have plaques and certificates probably on your wall of things that you have done. But you know what I have found? That in all those things, they die off. I, I'm proud of the things and I'm thankful for the things I've been through, but education, all that stuff, I can look at the plaque, but it's, it's dead. There's really not much to it anymore. But there is a certain life and the testimonies of God that when you speak them, they never lose that power. That's why you can go back and, and think about how God has moved in your life or how he used you to move in someone else's life. And there is always that special anointing and power in that. And I truly believe that, that God, wants, God wants us, he has so much more for us than we, than we can imagine God wants us to be triumphant in Christ. He wants us to be influencers of the communities that we live in, the workplaces that we live in. And I want you to be made aware with eyes of faith that there will be things that will come against that, that will try to discourage you, to stop you. And David, David gives us some, some keys here. And so from this point, David goes to face off against Goliath. Saul says, take my gear. David says, I can't use this. I've never used this before. I don't know what that means. I feel like there's something really important there, but I couldn't figure it out. I'll let you go do that in your homework assignment. But, but he says, I can't use this stuff. I'm just going to go out and, and fight him with a sling, and, and, uh, and that's really it. I don't have any armor on. And he takes five stones, a number of grace, because this is going to be a battle that's won through the empowering presence of God. And when he goes out to face Goliath, Goliath, they have this, this exchange of words, and David basically comes to the point and says, you come at me with spear, javelin, sword, and everything else. He says, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. What is he saying? He came in the authority of God. And why could David come in the authority of God? Why did David know the authority that he possessed? What I believe the Lord showed me is because he was a man of the presence because when he was back stewarding the sheep on the pasture, he would worship to God. And David literally experienced the God of this universe inhabiting the praises of his people. And he became acquainted with the presence of God. And because of that, David understood the authority that he walked with. And therefore, he went out with great courage against this giant. And we know the story. He slings the stone. The giant goes down face first. David comes, takes the giant sword, cuts Goliath's head off. The Philistines run. David takes the, the head back to Jerusalem. It's a nice prize. And I love it. This thing that was meant to, meant to break David, the thing that was meant to, to cause fear in David, the thing that was meant to destroy his life, wind up being a gateway into the very destiny that God had for him. And it was from here that David began to be raised up and brought into Saul's kingdom. And I, I just, I want to pray with you as we close here that that you would, uh, you would just be strengthened. I, I believe that you know that thing in your life that, that, is, that you know that needs to be slayed. And Jesus has won the ultimate battle, but we need to go out and fight this one in his strength. 
And I just, would you close your eyes with me and bow your head for a second here? I just want to pray for you. Spend the last last minute or so here. Just stay tuned in. God wants to speak to you. I want you to leave here strengthened and encouraged, challenged. Lord, I pray for everyone in this room that still doesn't know you. I pray for everyone in this room that still sits on the sideline like the Israelites, helpless and hopeless. That's where we all found ourselves before you, Jesus. I thank you that you are a rescuer. I thank you that you did come and fight the battle that we could never fight ourselves. And I even pray this morning, Lord, that, God, that you would minister to the hearts of your people. God, you'd minister to those that are far from you, that are still separated from you. And I pray right now, as you are the God that sees the heart, Lord, I just I pray for the most glorious exchange to take place. Lord, I pray that you are turning enemies into sons and daughters, Lord. I ask God right now that you would, God, you would draw, draw the lost right now to you by your spirit. God, I pray that they would realize that there is a way out, and his name is Jesus. And Lord, I pray right now for every, every believer in this body right here, and I lift up every person that understands all too well, those things that come against, those repeating things, God, the, the depression, the broken relationships, the broken marriages that you say needs to be fixed before they can move forward. Lord, I pray for those that are, are battle with anxiety and fear. Lord, we, we lift up these, these obstacles to you, God, and I thank you that in you, Jesus, we have victory. And I pray right now, God, that you would, you would mark, mark your people today. I pray that from today moving forward, that this would be, God, there'd be a shift and a change. Lord, that we would not allow ourselves to be in a standstill anymore. God, that like David, we would be faithful in what you've given us. And God, I pray that we'd be faithful to remember your faithfulness. And I pray that especially this week, God, God, that there would be such such a courage, such a strength that rises up in everybody in this room as we begin to reflect on all that you have done. God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus for every calling that you have in this room. God, every purpose and plan. I pray for every person that does not see how you could ever use them, God. I pray, God, that they would be encouraged how you use David, the least likely. God, I pray that you would speak fresh vision over your people. You would give them clarity as to where you're moving them. And God, I pray that you would strengthen those that have been discouraged by close people over the things that you've spoken into their heart. God, I pray that you would strengthen them today as well. Lord, I ask that as your people go, God, that this word would bear fruit today. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Home Church's podcast. To go deeper into the message, text DEEPER to 66866. If you would like to give to this ministry, you can text the amount to 631-693-4242.
888-421-4176 or visit us at myhomechurch.org backslash give.